here's a fun topic this morning. I'm I'm looking forward to discussing it with uh, Andrew Biggs of the American Enterprise Institute, AEI. Uh, you have kind of built a career talking about retirement, which is funny. But um, thinking of retirement, you're going to get there someday, but pensions and, and that type of thing. But um, something's come up recently. A couple of things have come up recently. Number one, the debt, the exorbitant budget at the federal level, and uh, Social Security and Medicare being things that cannot continue in their current form. And it's often been called the third rail because if you touch it, you get electrocuted. But I want you to help me understand and our listeners understand before we start, like, what is Social Security? Is it a retirement plan for workers or is it a safety net? Well, that's a very good question. It's a it's an important question for how because you know, how we think about Social Security, what we what we think its purpose is, that guides what we want to do about the system's funding problems, what we want to do about the structure of the system going forward. Social Security was the, the the Social Security Act was passed in 1935. It was during the Depression. FDR was president. Uh, the system started collecting ben- or collecting taxes in 1937. Started paying out benefits in 1940. The fact that it paid out benefits, you know, almost as soon as it started collecting taxes, is because Social Security isn't run the way a, a private pension or state and local government pension is, where you build up assets for decades, and then you draw those assets down when people retire. Social Security is what you call a pay-as-you-go program, which means money comes in and money goes out. It has the, you know, it's had this trust fund, which is sort of reserved to smooth things from year to year. But, but by and large, it's just a money-in, money-out program. That worked really well when the program started. It was an incredible deal for the early retirees, because let's say you uh, started paying taxes in 1937, you retired in 1940, you got a full retirement's worth of benefits after paying taxes for three years. And Social Security was an extraordinarily good deal over its first several decades. And that accounts for, you know, a good part of its popularity. In a sense, you know, if somebody said to you, you're about to retire, and they say, okay, here, I'm going to give you half a million dollars. Well, of course, you'd be happy about that. And that's, that's effectively what happened with Social Security through its, through its early decades. It's just it, the, the program started paying out benefits immediately. Great deal for people. But okay. there's a problem in the long term, which is as the demographics change, a pay-as-you-go program is really not well structured for that. You have fewer people paying in, more collecting benefits out. So, you know, what started as a 2% tax on workers is today a 12% tax to keep the system going with full benefits will eventually rise to 17, 18%, something like that. And so that that sort of thing makes you question, okay, what are we trying to do here? And Social Security is always a little bit unclear. It was never a pure safety net program designed to um, you know, simply keep you out of poverty. It was never set up exactly that way. On the other hand though, I don't think uh, it was intended to be a mainstay retirement program for middle class, upper income people. And today, the maximum benefit somebody could get, if they were higher in all their life, somebody retiring today could get somewhere around $42,000 per year from Social Security. When my wife and I retire, I figured out recently we're going to get about 75 grand a year from the program. 
that's there's no strong public purpose in that it's not there's that money's not keeping me out of poverty i'm going to save more on my own so as the system's finances get squeezed we need to think not just about the numbers but just conceptually or philosophically what are we trying to do with this system and i unfortunately there's not enough of that hard thinking really i do think that there's still a lot of people out there that think they're paying their social security into an account with their name on it and then people say, well, if I paid in, I better get it out. Like I've been paying into that for years. And how bad is it? How bad is the financial? Uh, and I should have said earlier, you worked for the Social Security Administration for a very long time. So you're an expert in this. Um, how bad is it? Uh, is it true that if you're under the age of 35, you probably won't ever get anything? No, no. Okay. It's the the. The perception that you, you cited of this is an earned benefit. I paid for it. I need to get my money back is, is not true, but it's incredibly strong. And that, that guides how politicians think about this. It's one thing if we say we're providing kind of a welfare benefit to keep you out of poverty. We're going to adjust those benefits over time um, based on affordability or whatever. That people view that kind of program in one way. If they view it in terms of personal dessert, the I paid this, that money has been saved for me, I need to get it back, they resist changes in a much more emotionally charged way than they otherwise would have. Um, and people have been told over the years, they're continuing to be told this is an earned benefit. You you get it's not a welfare benefit. You know, you get it by virtue of working to qualify for 10 years. Then it's based on what your earnings are, you pay taxes in those earnings. So people have this feeling that there's that money sitting there waiting for them. And, you know, but when people say, hey, I this is an earned benefit, I was like, okay, if this was truly an earned benefit, Social Security wouldn't be going broke. I mean, you know, it's just we have known literally since about 1990 that the program was significantly underfunded going forward. We, for years, people were told, if we don't pay higher taxes, we're not gonna be able to pay you the full benefits you've been promised. Over those three decades, Americans have indicated they don't want to pay higher taxes. Now they're approaching retirement. So then they're saying, you know, how dare you cut my benefits? I'm like, look, you saved a lot of money on taxes over those three decades. You know, for a, for a middle income worker, if we had raised taxes as needed to keep Social Security solvent beginning in, the, in around 1990, they would have paid an extra $125,000 taxes over their lifetime. And they didn't pay that. So they are $125,000 better off by virtue of not having paid those taxes, and they're probably still going to get their full benefits. So it's what we need to realize is that, is that you know, this is a very big funding problem. I mean, Social Security is a $1.2 trillion program. It's the biggest federal budget item, uh, bigger than the Pentagon, bigger than Medicaid. Oh, wow. bigger than Medicaid. It's underfunded by about 25% going forward. So that's that's a twenty three hundred dollar unfunded liability. Okay. But it's when your biggest single program is underfunded by twenty five percent, that's a big deal. And we need to think carefully about how we do it because it's a pay as you go program. It's like a seesaw that if we've got this big twenty trillion dollar unfunded liability, if people today don't pay it, it doesn't go away. It means people tomorrow have to pay. Right. It's you don't want to give up anything for yourself. But if you don't give up anything, it means your kids have to give that amount up. And so there are issues of generational fairness. There's issues of uh, fairness between people at different income levels. It's a it's a big financial problem, but it's conceptually people and politicians have a very tough time 
thinking about it because it just operates in ways we're not used to thinking about. So what we've done seemingly from my point of view to date is we've uh, pushed back the retirement age from but 62 to 65. No, it, it was originally 65 to get full okay. benefits. Being in the 1983 reforms, we gradually increased it from 65 to 67. And to, that just happened this past year. Okay. So we gave people almost four decades of warning to right. a higher retirement age. You can still claim benefits of 62, but those benefits are reduced. Um, okay, but, so we've done that and we've increased the percent from two to that I have to contribute from 2% to 6%. Is that right? It's it, it started at 1% okay. and then now it's 6%, but it's matched by your employers. The total sure. payroll tax is 12.4%. Pretty much everybody who works on these issues assumes that when the employer tax goes up, they pay for that increase by reducing your wages. There's, you know, there's, it's what economic theory tells you, but there's also research on this. So when I think about it, I think in just in terms of a 12.4% tax, even if formally half of that's coming from your employer, the reality is that just holds back your wages. Sure. So, you know, it, the social security sure. tax is the biggest tax that most workers pay. Most people pay more in social security taxes than they pay in income taxes. Wow. And you know, that, that's a big deal. So if we're thinking of the social security tax, going from 12% to 16% or something like that, that's not an inconsequential nope. increase in the amount of taxes people are paying. So then you put forth an idea recently of just not doing either of those two things anymore, adjusting those two things anymore, but just focusing on the maximum benefit. How would that work? Well, I point out earlier the maximum benefit that you can get from Social Security for somebody retiring this year is a bit over $42,000. That's $3,500 a month. It's, yeah, it's a little, it's a little over that. Okay. Um, but it's, you know, that's for somebody retiring at the normal retirement age of 67. So it's, if you, if you think about it, that, I mean, that's about three times the poverty line. It's, there, there's no way you can portray that as a safety net benefit. Now, what I proposed was we're not going to cut that benefit. We're simply going to say $42,000 is enough. And the reason we should say this $42,000 is enough is under the current benefit formula, by 2050, the top benefits could be almost $60,000 a year. How does it go up? How does the formula work? It the benefits increase uh, for, for a new retiree, say somebody retiring next year versus somebody retiring this year, benefits rise at the rate of average wage growth, which is usually okay. inflation plus around 1%. Okay. So the real level of benefits increases over time. Uh, somebody retiring today gets a benefit that's about a third higher than somebody retiring in 2000, even after counting inflation. Oh, wow. We're, just, we're simply paying more and more and more for the program. And if you're running a retirement program, that kind of makes sense because people, as your earnings rise, you you know you want to replace your pre-retirement earnings so you can maintain your standard living retirement. That's that's fine. But to the degree you're thinking about a safety net, you know, anti-poverty program, yeah, you don't need to be paying more and more. So my my proposal, which is just a partial one, uh, it will not fix the program. But the idea was simply cap that maximum benefit. It won't save you anything today. Next year, it'll save you a little bit. The year after, it'll save you a little bit. Eventually, you're going to get some real money because those benefits are getting higher and higher and higher. More and more Americans are going to be entitled to a benefit of over $42,000 a year. 
my point of view is, look, let's just say to ourselves 42 grand a year <laughs> for somebody who earned $100,000 a year over their lifetime is enough. Right. You have to draw the line at some point. Personally, I would draw it a lot further down than that, but 42 grand is enough. And <clears throat> that would fix over the long term, I don't know, maybe 20% of the long term funding gaps. Okay. So it's not a full fix. But the interesting thing, this gets back to this idea you talked to earlier. People see this as an earned benefit. I paid in it's an account. The, this idea I, I had of capping the maximum benefit was published in the Wall Street Journal. And I got pushback from the journal's readers who tend to skew conservative and saying, oh, it's, you know, this is socialism. How can you cap my benefit? I was like, look, every country on earth has a safety net benefit, you know, mm -hmm. to protect people from poverty and old age. We have it, everybody else has it, we're gonna still have it. But if you look at the maximum benefit social security pays here in the US, it's two or three times higher than in countries yeah. like Australia or Canada or the United Kingdom or New Zealand. You know, countries are kind of like us in a, in a general sense, but they just don't pay those enormous benefits to upper income people. And it, it's just very interesting that this pushback I got, well, it's it's not socialism, you know, if we all have safety net programs, but somehow it is socialism if we take away this what is <laughs> your retirement program for, for the upper middle class. And is there a maximum income or ma maximum asset amount that a person could have that would um, decrease their Social Security benefits? In other words, if I'm a very, very wealthy retiree, I retire with millions of dollars in the bank. Um, and I still have millions of dollars of interest income every year. Do I still get Social Security? You still do. Um, and this is part of the political support for Social Security. That is not a means tested program. It's not a welfare program. It is just sort of this entitlement. Entitlement is sometimes taken as a dirty word, but yeah. entitlement means you become entitled by virtue of having worked and paid into the program. So again, that gears towards, you know, I deserve this benefit. Yeah. The only way in which your other income affects your Social Security benefits is that if you have a lot of outside income on top of Social Security, then part half of your Social Security benefits can be subject to income taxes and that money flows back to Social Security. There's also an additional part that goes to Medicare. But that's a little bit like a means test. You know, it's saying, well, if you got a ton of outside income effectively some of your social security benefits can get rolled back into the program but it's it's never going to be something where they eliminate your benefit and in, at the end of the day you know i'm not going to propose doing anything dramatic to current retirees you know they made their plans you can't hit them with a huge means test or anything like that but if you look at a country like australia they have a very strong sort of anti-poverty benefit paid for by their government. It's paid out of income taxes, but that is that is means tested, and they they make sure everybody's signed up for retirement plan at work. And if things go wrong, the government is there for you. But over time, most people are not going to need that government benefit because they're all saving for retirement on the job. Now, it's this strikes me as something that's both effective. It, you know, it eliminates poverty in old age, it's economically efficient and all that, but it's also something that's inexpensive. Yeah. And yet, if you propose something like that here in the US, it's, you know, people go bananas, <laughs> but it really is. One way I tend to think about social security reform going forward is, you know, imagine if you were inventing social security today and you said, okay, we want to make sure that people don't retire into poverty, but I'll, you know, we also want to bankrupt the government with this. What would we do? 
probably what you do is set up a safety net against poverty and old age, but you'd also make sure everybody has a retirement plan at work. You make sure everybody signed up for it. You know, these auto enrollment programs yeah. like that. That's essentially what a country like Australia does. And it, and it works well. And yeah. but we insist on having this sort of, I mean, a very complicated social security program that most people don't really understand. They don't sure. understand how the benefit is calculated. They don't understand how the thing is financed. And yet we act as if, you know, this came down, you know, Moses coming down with a mountain exactly. social security benefit formula written out of these tablets. That's just not how it is. So I think some fresh thinking on social security can help bridge these gaps by saying we want better protection for low earners against poverty in old age, but we don't need to be paying ever higher benefits to people who could, would, and should save for yeah. retirement on their own. How bad is Medicare? Medicare, it's Medicare's interesting. And you know, I'm not a healthcare. And I'm just, just curious. In, in Medicare is both harder and easier than the social security effects. It's harder because over, you know, over coming decades, the the contribution of Medicare to the budget deficit is about twice as large as Social Security is. Because Medicare has all of the demographic problems that Social Security does, more retirees, fewer workers. But it also has the fact that, excuse me, healthcare prices are rising and healthcare, and more importantly, healthcare usage is rising. We mm -hmm. use more and more healthcare. So in that sense, it's a bigger problem than Social Security. The way health, the way Medicare and healthcare in, in general is easier is that our healthcare system is not very efficient, which means that if we make it more efficient, I mean that you have problems of wasteful usage in Medicare, you do have problems with fraud in, in Medicare. If we can cut down on that, we can reduce costs without cutting the services people receive. With Social Security, the retirement part in particular is extremely efficient. Again, money comes in, money goes out. And yes. SSA is efficient at handling all of that. It's done by computers. So if we want to reduce the, the cost of Social Security, pretty much the only way to do that is by cutting benefit checks. And people are emotionally attached to a benefit check in a different way than they are to Medicare service in the sense mm -hmm. of, you know, every year from Social Security, you'll get the statement that says, okay, when you retire, here's how much you're going to get. And they will estimate it down to the dollar. And if you get less than that, you're going to be upset. Healthcare is, just, it's a service. And, you know, if you go to other countries that spend less on us, part of it is they just tell people, you know, okay, mm -hmm there's nothing we can do for you. We don't have these drugs. We don't have these machines. Yeah. And people are like, okay, you've done your best and that's it. They don't feel cheated in the same way they would feel cheated if you, know, if you said, okay, you're entitled to $1,500 a month, but we're only giving you $1,400 a month. Yeah, that. maybe the Social Security Administration shouldn't have that calculator on the website. <laughs> now we all know our numbers. Yeah. Now well, it's going to be harder to change that. Number. If there's any upside to it, it's I wrote a paper God, close on 10 years ago, which basically show that get, providing those estimates for people doesn't do very much good. Um, I looked at, <laughs> this gets the complexity of, of Social Security. but you mean they're not very accurate? No, the, the estimates are accurate, but they don't help. What I did is I used survey data where people, I first looked at people who were about to retire. They would say a year away from retirement. And in this survey, they were asked, what do you think you're going to get from Social Security? Then we revisited those same people two years later after they'd retired and said, okay, how much in fact are you getting? And so what this test is, you know, do people have an understanding of what they're going to get from this program? 
a huge chunk of people, I mean, about a third of the people couldn't even give you a guess as to no. what benefit it was going to be. Other people overestimate, other people underestimate. The, the, the upshot here is social security is, is pegged as, you know, this is a dependable, reliable yeah. benefit you can plan around. You, know, you can plan how much to save on your own. You plan when to retire. A good chunk of people have no idea what they're getting from Social Security until the first check arrives in the mailbox. And the reason is the benefit formula is hugely complex. It's our Social Security benefit formula is much more complicated than in other countries because of all this crap going on. Yeah. Other countries, it's way more straightforward. I mean, if you're in Canada, you could do your benefit in your head. You yeah. can't do that here. And that that undercuts the mission of the program of giving you something that's stable that you can plan around. If you don't know what the benefit is, how do you plan? So right. yeah, there, there's just, there's a whole lot of things we could do to make social security work better as a program to yeah. help prevent poverty and old age, to help people plan for retirement. And we don't do that because we regard it, the benefit formula and all the things we've done as a sacred cow. Yeah. We're doing a lot of things for the future simply because we've done them in the past. And that's not good management. That's not really the, the way you want to be running a program like this, which is, you know, it's a very, very important. So if we do nothing, uh, how long before Social Security is bankrupt? Well, uh, aren't there like projections of the year? Goes sure. Every year, the Social Security Administration, the Social Security trustees, they put out a report that projects Social Security's finances. The Congressional Budget Office does a similar exercise. Uh, the Social Security trustees project that the trust funds will run out in 2035. I think CBO says 2033. The, the, those particular dates are very sensitive to small changes and assumptions. But what's important to understand is what that means. That um, so because Social Security is a pay-as-you-go program, we put this 12% tax on workers and we funnel money out the door to retirees and disabled, in a sense, it can never be bankrupt in the sense of running out of money. There's always okay. going to be money. Uh, as long as there's money going in, there's money going out. Okay. Where What the, the trust fund insolvency means, though, is that Social Security won't be able to pay full benefits. Today, the trust fund redeems bonds. Like these are IOUs that one part of the government issued to another part, but mm -hmm. redeem them. And like this year, we'll get about $110 billion of general tax revenue, which means income taxes, transferred to Social Security to supplement the payroll taxes it collects. As long as the trust fund has enough bonds, they can keep paying full benefits. When those bonds run out, legally, Social Security can only pay the benefits equal to what it collects in dedicated taxes, essentially mm -hmm. payroll taxes. That comes out up to about 80% of what's been promised. Yeah. So- It's not as bad as I thought. It's not, it's, so when people say, I don't think I'm gonna get anything, well, that's clearly incorrect. You know, you, okay. you get, you know, at, at least 80% of what you've been promised. Okay. The reality is when that date comes, what are the chances Congress is actually going to allow benefits to be cut like that? I think essentially zero. Okay. I don't think they will allow much of a benefit cut at all, to be frank. Um, they will just find ways to funnel money into it. Maybe they'll raise taxes overtly. Maybe they'll you know, borrow money and put it in through the back door. Maybe they'll do some variety of those things. But the reality is that we're not going to have a dramatic benefit cut like that. Okay. But, but what's going to happen is we're going to mm -hmm. autopilot spending more and more and more in this program 
which means less and less and less for all the other things you want government to do. You know, if you if you're a conservative and you say I want low taxes, well, you're not going to get that as if Social Security, Medicare, and the rest are just driving costs upward. At the same time, though, I mean, a lot of progressives, Bernie Sanders, even the president to some degree, are saying we need to fix Social Security by you know dramatically raising taxes on high-income Americans. Okay, fine, go go and do that. But that means you can't dramatically raise taxes in the same Americans to pay for, you know, universal health care or Green New Deal or free college for everybody. You know, the, a dollar can only be spent once. So even if the left and the right differ on what we want those dollars to do, you know, conservatives like tax cuts, liberals who like spending, the, the question still resonates of do we need to be taxing more and more and more to pay higher and higher benefits, much of which goes to higher income Americans? Yeah, that's I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders. You, I mean, go ahead. what do you think are the political prospects for your idea of capping the maximum benefits? I saw Paul Ryan was in the news the other day saying that we're going to have to do something. Sure. But is it still a third rail? Like, is it still, you know, political death to consider in any way capping social security benefits? It's a tough, tough political left. And I'll, I'll illustrate in the, in the following way. There's, you know, there's groups of liberal progressive lawmakers in the house and they've proposed a, a plan that would keep social security solvent entirely by raising taxes. Those lawmakers have no real fear of losing re-election to a Republican. They're from safe districts and all that. That plan has never come up for a vote in the House, even when they controlled it, because they know their leadership knows those tax increases are unpopular. Similarly, you have a whole group of conservative House members, the Republican Study Committee. They have a plan to fix Social Security entirely by cutting benefits. That's not going to go anywhere either. But again, they can say it because they're not going to re lose re-election. People who are interested in getting elected think President Biden, think former President Trump, who are both running for election. What they have done is they have promised Americans, we're never going to cut your benefits, not a penny of benefits. But if you look at their actual plans of how they're going to make that happen, they, they, they don't have a plan to do it. President Biden's proposal for Social Security to extend the trust fund by maybe five years. It's, it's not nearly enough. The plan is not enough to fulfill the promise. Former President Trump says we're going to fund Social Security income taxes. That's going to fix the problem. That means a 60% increase in your income tax revenues. He hasn't talked at all about that. Again, the plan is not enough to meet the promise. This gets at the politics of it, where it's just the median voter is, is selfish. You know, they, as I said before, by delaying Social Security, people today benefit. They save on taxes. They they forego benefit cuts. We put the costs in our kids. A lot of people think that way. And so it's a real tough thing to win an election with a with a with a Social Security plan that really fixes the problem. And but what you need is you just need leadership, you know, say from the president to take those two sides, those conservatives in the House, those progressives in the House put them together and say, look, I need you guys to come to some sort of agreement on this. And you're both going to hate it, but guess what? We got to fix the problem. And that's the role I think the presidential leadership can take. So far, you know, President Biden's been talking a lot about Social Security recently. Mm -hmm. 
And but I think they've just taken the wrong lessons from it in the sense of Democrats are happy now. They're beating up on Republicans over Social Security. Yesterday in the Washington Post, there's a story saying, well, you know, are the Democrats going to actually put out a plan to fix Social Security? And you have the political advisor saying, you know, why should we do that when we're already scoring political points against Republicans as it is? The answer is you should do it because you should want to fix Social Security more than you should want to score political points. But what world do you live in? (laughs) Yeah, really. But, you know, this is Washington, D.C. They're just not thinking in those terms very much. They need to start thinking in those terms. And it's the typical kick the can down the road. I mean, like, why would they want to be the ones that own that problem? Because so many political downside potential, uh, why own it if you can kick it down the road and let someone else own it while you just talk about it? I see this in education all the time. It's very frustrating. Um, I did a podcast. Um, I can't remember who it was with, so I don't know. I feel terrible about that, but that said, uh, we don't elect workhorses, we elect show ponies. And we need more workhorses in there and fewer show ponies because this there's hard work to be done. And, sure. and um, me, I, I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit, though. Okay. In the sense of, you know, yes, we would be better off if we had, you know, workhorses rather than show horses. And yet it's, you know, we've been saying for decades, we just need better people in office. If you're not getting better people in office, if you're or if you're not able to solve your problems, a lot of that comes down to your system, to your structures. And the I guess with Social Security, I point out two things. One is the system's funding is set up that you can kick the can down the road. It's not like a state and local pension, or at least on paper, every year they have to reevaluate their finances and make changes to it. There's nothing with Social Security that requires you to make changes. You can simply do nothing and allow it to become more underfunded. You could change those rules and say every year you have to adjust taxes or benefits to fix it. Yeah. But second, the, the interesting thing is that you know, if you look at other countries, they all have these same sorts of programs. They all have the same demographic issues of aging populations that we do. And yet they don't go 40 years without fixing their programs. You know, they revisit usually every 10 years or so. And, they, and you know, they, they've gotten on top of these problems. One of the issues that we face is the way our government is structured. The, if you look at a parliamentary democracy, you know, Britain or Australia, if a party wins an election, they get the power, they can do more or less what they want. Then, you know, four or five years later, if it doesn't work out, they lose. To fix Social Security here, you need to pass the House, that simple majority. You need to get essentially 60 votes in the Senate, which almost nobody's capable of doing. Then you need to get the president to sign off. There's just a lot of hurdles you have to get over to make anything happen. And that system, I think, probably worked well when we wanted to hamstring the government. We didn't want the government doing very many things. But today, when the government is is running these massive programs in which it can kick the can down the road and you know eventually push us towards you know a fiscal crisis, you have to make it easier to fix them. So people talk about bipartisan commissions with ex- expedited consideration and in, in, in Congress. That is just an admission that our current system is not up to managing these programs. So it's constitutional reform. (laughs) Well, it's yeah. I mean, it's uh, this stuff can be done. You know, they they can they can set things up through their own procedures if they want to. But you know, but the point is, these are the major things that that the government does today. If you take entitlements, 
you know, that's over half of government spending. So if you admit you can't manage your entitlement programs, that's like McDonald's saying, hey, we don't know how to cook hamburgers. Let's find somebody else to do it for us. I mean, this yeah. is what government does. And it's it's just very disappointing for a whole range of reasons that the federal government has been such a poor steward of these programs, which yeah. are so important to people. Yeah, that is a bummer. All right. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, I love the ideas. I know so I feel like something's going to be done, but I appreciate you at least explaining it to us in a way that we can all understand, because I just don't think there's widespread understanding of what Social Security is. So if we can just make that little speck of improvement, that would be something. Well, I appreciate it. And, and any little bit of understanding we can spread around that helps. Because it's That's a right. lot of it is these misunderstandings that make it so tough to fix the system. That's right. All right. Well, thanks a, a bunch. I really appreciate you joining us. I appreciate it.